Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Wait, let me turn my lumens up so that I can see what I'm doing here. Alrighty. Uh, during during the week, I was preparing uh, a message, going along the the path that um, I've, I've felt God sort of tell us to be preaching in this uh, season about Jesus and the personhood of Jesus. And as God does, as I was preparing my my next message and what I was what I was seeing and reading through. Um, God dropped something on my heart, and I can't go past it. I need to preach on it. So I'm going to just divert for this Sunday, and then we'll get back to what we were talking about. But don't panic. I'm going to talk about Jesus, so it's okay. But I, I was really stirred, and I was really um, encouraged by a question that a friend asked me during the week, a challenging question that that shouldn't have rocked me, but the way that he asked it just just really challenged my heart. So I am going to get to that, but I, if it's okay with you guys, I want to share three stories. I want to, I want to share my, my testimony and how I got to where I am. I want to then have someone else tell a story of, of their life and how they got to where they are. And then when I, I want to read um, a story out of the Bible of someone's heart that was changed. And hopefully God, I know he has this for somebody, so I'm, I'm sure everyone can get something out of this. So I want to start with the story of of how I got to where to where I am. So I grew up in a a rather big family. I have four older brothers, um, and when I was very little, my parents split. So we had two homes that we were bouncing between. Both of my parents remarried, um, and in their remarriages, they both had two kids as well. So now we had this massive split family that uh, it isn't really a sob story because it worked out pretty well. But <laughs> I just want to want to draw a picture. So. We um we grew up in a in a household where when my folks split they were both strong Christians. Um, when they split, my mum felt like the church didn't support her and that it was all a bunch of hooey, so she walked away. Um, so, but my dad stays very strong in his faith. He he clings to Christ and what Christ did to get him through that stage. So, we now had a a, a family where. Half the time we'd spend with my mum, half the time we'd spend with my dad. So half the time we were spending in a church environment, half the time we were spending in a non-church environment. Uh, my four older brothers, we all sort of, dad pushed it in us that we went to church. We, so we all went, when we went to dad's place, we'd go to church. And um, along the way, my brothers, all four of my brothers got hurt. They, Looking back on it now, I wish that the church did better. Um, <laughs> do better. <laughs> Um, and I think that's why a part of my passion is for the church to succeed, you know. We see so much hurt, and we shouldn't, you know. We're not meant to be in a place that's hurting. We're meant to be the light in the world, and that's what I want to encourage us today. So, sorry, my four older brothers all walked away. They, um, they'll come back one day. But <laughs> I wasn't supposed to cry at this point. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Oh man, I'm I'm shaking. This is ridiculous. Pull yourself together. So my brothers all walked away. So I now lived in a place where I was one. I was the youngest. I'm the youngest of, of five boys. I was the youngest in all the others. So I had a choice to make. And I remember my brother said to me, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to follow everybody else, or are you going to make your own decision? So I, I decided, no, I want to find out what church means. My dad said to me one day, um, you need to get baptized. And I said, I don't want to get baptized. He said, why? I said, well, I don't understand what it means. 
confused. My dad let me go and, and didn't make me t- force me to get baptized, which was great. But I started to dig in to find out what the reality of the Bible actually meant. Why is this book going to change my life? So as I started to, to pick it out, I couldn't, I couldn't walk away from it. Something was grabbing me. I know what that is now, but something was, was holding onto my heart and I couldn't let it go. So I went through high school and I did the party scene. Um, I used to go out with my mates and, and do what, what, what kids are meant to do. And um, I remember one night I went out with my friend and he got beyond drunk and I had to look after him. And I remember getting home and just being so frustrated because it was such a terrible night. And I thought to myself, this wasn't fun, you know. So I was, I was wrestling with this challenge. I left. That was in my hometown in, in Casino down south in New South Wales. I left Casino when I was 18 to go to the Gold Coast to study um, criminology and criminal justice. And I went to Crossing Point. The guys from Casino knew Brad and Farah. So I started going to Crossing Point. And from that, that point, my faith started to develop, but I was still caught in, in this world that I needed to be somebody. You know, I, was, I, was, I had friends at uni and I was, I, was, I was still living the same life, a foot in both camps. And I remember a conversation with Brad that um, he challenged me. Us, he challenged me. Um, and, he, and he questioned the call of my life and he questioned my purpose. And I, I remember going home and I was quite frustrated because I was having so much fun in the, in the world and I was having such a great time at church and I was so confused and broken. And I remember I went to um, my cupboard. I was living with my brother at the time, and I didn't have any food left. But I was stubborn and refused to ask for help because one of my brothers told me that I wouldn't make it on my own. So I refused to ask for help, and I had nothing, no food left. And I said to God, if you're there and you have a purpose for me, then fill my cupboard. I went to church, and lo and behold, they collected the offering. There was an envelope with my name on it. There was $50 inside. I then went to Woolworths with that $50 with a mate of mine from uni, and he was calculating and I was getting off the shelf. And we packed the groceries into my car. And he looked at me and he said, how did that cost us $50? And I said, I don't know. We looked back over the receipt and it all, we calculated the receipt. It all made sense. But there was so much food in the cupboard. I went home and I shut the door and I just burst into tears. And I was so broken at the fact that God heard what I said. So from that point on, I thought, right. I've got to change my life. I've got to do something. And it wasn't easy. I didn't, I didn't just wake up the next day and I was a fantastic Christian by any means. But I was, I was saved before that day, but that day changed my life. That was the day that the, the spark was lit and God started to fan the flame. So I was at uni. I finished my degree um, in criminology and criminal justice. And throughout the time that I was going to uni, I had a lot of people saying to me that I was going to be this police commissioner and I was going to, I was going to change the world and, and I was really getting built up as I was doing my degree that I was going to be somebody in the policing world, that, that I was going to change, change the world. Midway through my degree, I, I wanted to quit. Long story, but I prayed to God. I went down and a guy out of nowhere that I didn't know and he didn't know me, he called me by name and said to me, your name's Ben? And I said, yep. And he said, you're doing a criminology degree. Oh, he said, a, a law degree in crime. I said, yep. And he said, God, has you in a place for a purpose. So I went home, I finished my degree, and I said, okay, God, now what? I'm finished. And a friend of mine said to me, you should go to Bible college. I said, I don't want to go to Bible college. I'm going to be a police commissioner. But there was a wrestle in my heart that, that God was pulling me to something. So I, I took a year off and I worked 
in a Christian ministry that was in a Christian work environment that was terrible. Absolutely broke me. It was the most terrible place when it was supposed to be a Christian organization. And I learned a lot after that. I finished and I said, okay, I'm going to go to Bible college for a year. So I went to Bible college and I did a postgraduate at Bible college. And while I was in Bible college, I was wrestling with God. You've got to, you've got to follow me. And I said, yeah, I will in crime. You've got to follow me. I will in my crime degree. But I don't want you in my crime degree. I want you in the church. And I, I remember saying to Mao when we first merged the church, um, my father-in-law had said to me, why don't you just work in ministry? I said, I don't want to work in ministry. I want to go and I want to be a police commissioner or something in that, in that realm. And I remember saying to Mel, um, we were talking about me coming on staff and, and I, I said to him, I, I remember praying and, and saying to God, I want to do what you want me to do. And he said, then go. And I was saying, no, 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 God, I want to do what you want me to do. And he's saying, then there, go. But we get so caught up in the, in the Christian world, in the, in, the, in the Christian language that we say these things, you know, we sing all these songs, God, send me where you want me to go, so long as it's what I want to do. And God challenged me, you know, he rattled me. And he said, I want you in the church, and here's the heart that I want you to change. This is what I want you to be. So I said to him, oh, uh, all right, let's talk about what it's going to look like for me to come on staff. And I did that. And the whole way along, I wrestled. I didn't want to, to walk this path. I never really wanted to be a leader either. But when I walk into a room, God shows me things and I can't deny who I am. I can't take a different seat than the one God gave me. So this is story number one, by the way. I'll get through it at some, at some point here. But all through my life, I've had a choice. I've had two paths, a fork in the road. And I remember saying to God, God, don't give me a fork in the road. Just make me do what I've got to do. Close everything else off. And along the way, God was doing that. He was closing doors to the policing world. I applied for a job um, as an intelligence analyst that I was qualified for, well qualified for. And I didn't even make the first step. I didn't even make the, the, the basic pass. And then I said to Mal, I've applied for... I didn't tell anybody else, and I said, I've applied for a policing job. And Mal, <laughs> Mal was disgusted, <laughs> weren't you? You weren't happy about it. And he said, well, you're not going to get it. And I thought, <laughs> I said, uh, well, God wants me there, so that's where I'm going to go. I didn't make it past. In the, in the policing realm, there's a... The first step is like a, a test that you have to do, and it's pretty simple. I failed in the first test. I think I got 2%. And I went, you're joking me. So I rang Mal back. Mate, uh, God closed the door there. Can we, can we have another chat about some more things maybe? You know, but uh, all along the way, God was closing doors, but because I was so... I don't know what the word is. I was a pain in the bum. I was kicking the doors in because I wanted to do that. Now, I believe somewhere down the track, God has something for me in that realm, an influence, maybe a voice. I don't know, but I believe that that will come. But God used that time to grow me, to, to rustle my feathers so that I could learn who he was and the direction that he was leading. 
One of these air cons is on like 400 degrees. That corner's like... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> making me sweat over there. So the, the, the point for this story, the reason that I wanted to tell you, not to, not to point on me and say how much of a superstar I was, but the fact that the, the reason that I stand where I am, the reason that, that I'm in this place is because God constantly was pulling me towards what he was doing. And, and although I didn't want to at times, I listened. I saw the fork in the road, I had a choice to make, and I went down the choice, that, the path that God was leading. Can you put that thing on, please? If it's going to work, hopefully it's going to work. I want to, the next story is a video that goes for about five minutes. Can you turn the sun off? My story begins kind of like it's a fish out of water story. Even though I was born in South Central LA, my particular story starts 20 minutes outside of that in the San Gabriel Valley in West Covina, La Puente area. So I grew up in like an all Mexican, like super violent neighborhood. I didn't even know it was as dangerous as it was. I just thought that that's just that's how people live. My neighbor's house became a crack house. Like I didn't know that. I just knew they didn't turn on their electricity. And I thought it was like camping, like they're, you know, they cook with candles, but no crack. I was the one black kid being teased because of my color, getting chased home, getting banged on when you're walking home, like, where you from, me? I'm like, and I recognize homie, like, I'm like, Paco, man, like, I live two streets from you. What are you talking about? And then even when we moved out to the suburbs, even there, again, like, that was a predominantly Caucasian neighborhood, and we were the poor kids that just moved in, and, um, and just these weird black people that spoke Spanish, you know what I'm saying? And like, they just couldn't, they didn't get us. And even down the street at the church we went to, for some reason for me, I was getting convicted. Like, I feel like God has split the roof open and is talking to me directly. But the guys that were my age, I remember them not being affected at all. But it just tripped me out, cause like, I felt like nobody else felt like that. But in my mind, it went back to just same way I grew up. Well, I've been the only my whole life. So if I'm gonna be the only here, I'll be the only there. Meanwhile, church service, I was never missing. Mama made me take notes to see if I was listening. But I lived among the Mexicans, so I never did the crip thing. Instead, they gave me cans to write my name up on the bricks thing. All the while, God was training me to hear his voice. Cause only he knew that I would soon make a choice. I was this tagger, slash rapper, son of a black panther. And it got high hopes for him, he gonna be a pastor. So should he run with the church boys, the backpackers of thugs? And, and it's funny, it seemed like the Lord's answer was all of the above. I like to say that I was slow cooked um, in that I would say it started in sixth grade and then culminated my junior year examining just my experience in life and just always, again, feeling like I don't belong. Whether I was born the wrong color, in the wrong neighborhood, in the wrong decade, to the wrong parents, like all this, like I'm just not an alpha male. I was an artist, like I, I, was, I, I would draw all the time. I wrote poetry, come on now, you know what I'm saying? So I think there was a moment when 
my father finally pointed to a particular passage, uh, Psalms 139, before you were in the womb, I knew you. He said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows well. And I think that it was there that I realized that my value is not determined by some particular innate quality that I have. No, your value is because God was willing to pay the cost of his son for you. That, that's the price he was willing to pay for you. But it cost me personally nothing. That all this was on purpose. Everything you are, your whole goulash of experiences and gifts, all the scars, every hurt, every failure, being spit on walking home, like all this, it's on purpose. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're exactly what I want you to be. You was looking at a last born, rightful heir to the throne, son of a nobody with poverty in my bones, and that's beautiful. See, we ain't never had nothing, but nothing was sufficient. It kept my belly full of the stuff the rich was missing, and that's beautiful. My mama used to say, don't nothing God do go to waste. And uh, I'm seeing that happen in my life. When I started rapping full time, doing poetry full time, being so comfortable, you know, among Mexicans, being able to uh, to identify with their struggle. I know what it means. Like, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I speak the language. I know the slang. I, I know the pitfalls. Like, I know all that. I feel like my run has been um, a, uh, a proclamation of that truth. But, like, my, my block didn't make me. You know, the creator did. So in honor of of Jimi Hendrix. I string my life instrument backwards and choose to play the back because in the word last is first and that's beautiful. Like the pain and every scar you got. I prefer to call them life tattoos. They're masterpieces. They're beautiful. In the most intimate and personable way to say this, Christ has He's given me personhood. My name is Jason Petty, AKA Propaganda. And I am second. God was training me to hear his voice because soon I would have to make a choice. Should, I, should he run with the church boys, the backpackers or the thugs? It's funny because God's answer was all of the above. He's a... This guy is a, is, a, is a rapper in America, and his rap, rapper name is uh, Propaganda. But the story captivates me because he had a choice, a massive choice that was given. He, he was living a life and could have lived the life of a rapper, the have-everything life, you know. And the, the most incredible thing is that his block didn't make him, Christ did. And he sits in this place where something was pulling at him the whole time. Something was saying to him, I want you to be more than this. I want you to be something different. You know, when he talks about that he's sitting in church and the, the roof was ripped open and God spoke directly to him, that was the, the Holy Spirit telling him, I've got something for you. Listen to me. And, you know, I believe that, that all of us that step into to a, a, a place to follow Christ, we all get this moment. And not just once, we get it again and again and again in everything that we do. But we have the choice. You know, God put 
the tree in the Garden of Eden. Why? Because he gave Adam and Eve the choice to do what he wanted them to do. When Mike was here, he talked about the fact that, that um, I think it was a quote from Bill Johnson, but that God puts, puts the tree in, in just about everything that we do. That there's a choice that we get to make. If you've got your Bible, go with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of, of King Ataxerxes, I think is how you say that, but I'm not really sure, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not seen, now I had not been sad in his presence. Okay, so we have, we have Nehemiah that is the cupbearer to the king, and not once has he ever been sad in the presence of the king. It says just there in, in 2. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Nehemiah was never sad in the king's presence until he heard of the news that the city of his forefathers had been burnt to the ground, and it gripped him so much that he feared not pleasing the king. Because when the king said to him, why are you sad? He, he said, it fears me. So he didn't want to displease the king, yet when he went into his courts and he'd heard the news of his forefathers, it gripped his heart. I've got to go. God's calling me. I can change that place. I've got to go. So much so that he asked the king what would have never really been allowed. But he had favor with the king because of who he was and because of the call that God had for him. So when he goes back to Judah to rebuild the city, he was hit on every angle. But people saying, you'll never do this. The city cannot be rebuilt in the time you want to rebuild it. But it so captivated his heart that Nehemiah said, I've got to go. I've got to go. God's called me to this place. He's put this, this passion, this desire on my heart. I have to go and at least try. So he goes to Judah. And he rebuilds the wall. In the quicker time than anyone ever thought that he could do it. 52 days, I think it says, later on in Nehemiah. But you see, sometimes we, we get in this place. Nehemiah could have said, it's too hard. I hope someone can build it. I hope someone goes there and fixes that place. But instead, God called Nehemiah, so he put down what he had. I'm sure he would have lived a, a, a somewhat comfortable life in the king's courts. And yet he tosses it all away to go because the desire so gripped his heart. God, I want to do what you want to do. You know those songs that we sing? That's how you live those songs out. God, pull me a little closer. Take me a little deeper so I know your heart. Sometimes I think God maybe says to us, do you actually want to see what my heart is? Because once I show you, 
you're going to have to do something. That the moment that I show you my heart for this city, you're going to be captivated. And you're going to have to put your hands to work. And it's going to be tough. You know, when, when they were building the city, one of the, one of the most fascinating things in Nehemiah is that Nehemiah ordered the guys building to have a, a building tool in one hand and a weapon in the other to protect themselves. You know, it's not going to be easy. But there's something inside of you that has to go, God, I want to do what you want me to do. Send me on your call. You want me to stay here and build your church? Show me how to build. You know, I heard someone say the other day, if, if you find yourself in a church and you feel like you can't serve enough, then you're not looking into what God has for you because there's always a brother to someone you can be or a mother or a sister or a father. There's always something that we can be doing to build. You know, there's always a heart that can be changed. And this isn't a, a message that I wanted to, to condemn. I'm not, I'm not trying to condemn the church. I'm trying to spur the church to reform and to come to a place that Christ built, that he wants us to be, you know. So the conversation that I had with my friend, we were singing this song today and I was just thinking about it. My friend asked me during the week, he said, do you love Jesus? And I went, yep. He said, what does it look like? And I was silent and he said to me again, do you love Jesus? And for a moment, I didn't know how to answer that question. Not because I don't love him, but because there's such a desire in me that goes, God, I want to know who you are. And to love you, I want to find out who you are. I want to find out more about you. I want to understand what it is that you want me to do because I know that you love me. But who are you? That when I sit down to read my Bible, I want to be so compelled with a desire to find out who Christ is. That that's, that's the love my friend was talking about. Jess and I got married in, in November this year, so we are newlyweds. Technically last year, sorry. November last year. Awkward if it's this year. November last year. So this, this, this walking of trying to understand who my wife is and this, this growth of, of, of loving her comes out of the relationship that I get to have with her. And I was sitting there thinking about, about this whole concept. And I thought it would be absolutely ludicrous if Jess wrote me a book about who she was and then gave it to me. And I said to her, okay, thank you. This is all I need now. So you can go. But it would be just as ludicrous if she wrote me a book and said, hey, this is how you can love me well. This is how you can find out who I am. This is how you can, you can understand my passions, my desires, my heart. And then I never read it. You see, you can't have one without the other. We have to learn how to walk in a, a, a unison with Christ that is, is not just head knowledge, but is relational. But we have to understand what his word is saying. We have to understand who he is. Go with me to... To John 3.16, you can. John 3.16, one of the most famous, one of the most famous verses in the Christian realm. Most of you would be able to cite it without reading it. But John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him 
should not perish but have eternal life. So for a lot of Christians, we go, okay, cool, that's how we get eternal life. That gets us to eternal life. Except for there's a problem with that because we also understand that there's a, a heaven and a hell. So whether you're saved or not, you're going to leave eternity somewhere. So as spiritual beings, we are eternal beings. But go with me to John 17.2, later on in John. John 17, verse 2. Where Jesus says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. So the eternal life that John 3.16 is talking about, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that we could have eternal life, that eternal life is knowing who Christ is. That we don't get that eternal life now and then get to hold it until we get to heaven and then we get to live in it. That the eternal life that, that God is talking about is understanding who Christ is, is knowing him, is walking with him, is walking with his spirit, is understanding who God is, understanding the very nature of God. You know, we've harped on a, a, quite a bit about having a, a strong theology and understanding of God. You know, that, as a Christian, is our walk, is our purpose. Love God, understand God, and love people. Because the flow on from people is from our understanding of the Father. So the eternal life that Jesus has, we have it now. We are walking in the eternal life that God gave in John 3.16, that Jesus died for us to have. And you know, as I as I live my life on and I and I, I I love my wife more and more, I get to understand who she is. And you know, having spent a lot of time with a lot of older people and chatting, one of the things that that we found out is that you never actually fully get to know who the other person is. There's always something you're learning and you're growing. What an incredible mystery that God reveals himself to us moment by moment, bit by bit. That as we walk along, we get to find out the very passion of our Father, the very heart of who He is. That's eternity. You know, when you look at, when you look at the eternity that, that sometimes Christians hold, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. I can't wait. Christ is saying, I gave it to you. You've already got it. I was listening to a, um, to a Bill Johnson preach this week. Sometime, I don't remember what it was either. But something stood out to me. Um, he said, in the, in the Our Father, the end of the Our, Far, the Our Father, when you translate that from the original language, it says, kingdom come, will be done. It's a decree. So what Brad was saying earlier that you know, we don't plead with God, God already gave it to us. He already gave it to us. But we get so caught up in this, in this dream, you know, the, the American dream, that it's just there. It's just out of reach. But what God's saying here is, is this is eternal life, that you know the true God. That without that, without the knowledge of the true God, without the constant walking with Jesus, we just don't have what we, what we want to have. We're reaching for something that we've already been given. But when we begin to understand, when we begin to, to really know who God is, bless you, 
we can, we can begin to understand the, the reality of what Christ has for us. The three stories that I told you, my testimony, propaganda's testimony, and Nehemiah, in all three of those, there was a choice. There was a path to walk. Nehemiah could have said no. Nehemiah could have been filled with compassion, looked at his life and said, I want to stay here. But he didn't. He went. Now, in that story, propaganda could have, could have stayed in the, in the, the, in the uh, Mexican life, become a rapper and live that style. But he said, when I sat in that place, God convicted my heart and he drew me to something. There was a passion and a purpose that I had to take up. When we live a life sold out for Christ, it means, God, where do you want me to go? And then go. We have a lot of the church that sits in the, where do you want me to go, Father? And next Sunday, I'll ask again. And again, and again. But, but very rarely do we put hands to plowshares. There's a, there's a real drive for, for a, a rebuild and a reform in the church. And do you, do you know, to rebuild the church, to, to bring back the church as to what Christ had for it in the early days, we need people willing to do the call of God. I think for so long the church has been in, in a, a stagnated position because guys aren't willing to fulfill their call. God's calling people and we keep asking and he keeps showing but we don't pick up what we're meant to pick up. And this is, a, this is a, an encouragement for me. You know, I was, I was blown away when my, when, when my friend asked me that question. I said, right, Father, how do I, how do I go deeper into you? How do I understand you more? What is it that I can pick up? What is it that I can, I can do? Because I want to do that. What can you show me in your word? What can you show me throughout my week? What can you show me in the very places that I stand that help me understand who you are? I'm going to finish in a moment, but just go with me to Genesis 50. I'm just going to read this out. I'm going to read the whole thing, Genesis 50, uh, 1 to 14. I'm going to read it out and then I'm going to go back and explain what's happening here. So then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Israel was another name for his father. It's not talking about specifically the city there. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping of for him were passed. Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the morning of the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous morning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan, 
and buried him in, in the cave of the field at the Machpelah, the east of the Mame, which Abraham bought with the field from the Ephron to the Hittite um, to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers, and all had gone up to him with burying his father. Okay, so this story is fascinating. Joseph was an Israelite living in Egypt. Okay, the backstory of why they go to Egypt is all there in, in Genesis. You can read earlier and find out why they have to go to Egypt. But he's an Israelite living in Egypt, the land of the Pharaoh. So he's not, you have to understand that their, their family was not seen as a, a great family. They were Israelites in a, in a foreign world. His father, Jacob, asks, asks him to bury him in Canaan. When his, father's, when his father dies, 40 days they embalm him, so they weep, they mourn. The Egyptians wept for him 70 days. He had such favor with the Egyptians that they wept for him longer than his own people. That they were so heartbroken when he died that we lost this incredible man. We need to mourn for him. Then Joseph goes and, and, and asks the Pharaoh, can I please take him to fulfill my promise, take him back to the land of his forefathers, to Canaan. And Pharaoh says to him, we will go with you. This man that they shouldn't have liked, yet he held such a favor that the Pharaoh said, I'm going to send everything that we have to go with you. The most fascinating thing is that along their journey, along their journey they go and they, they weep. When they get to Canaan, they weep so much that the Canaanites say, look at these Egyptians weeping, that I'm going to call this land the weeping place of the Egyptians. The Abelmaster and the Hebrew, the Hebrew of that means meadow of the Egyptians, the place where the Egyptians wept. That they were so, they were so captivated by the heart that they had for this man that they wept for him longer than his people. What I want to put to you is that the world that we live in is, the, is our Egypt. What are we doing in that place that if we go, they are so saddened by our passing because of who we are, that we carry the light of Christ into the world in such a fashion that when we leave, they are so upset that they mourn greater than those who actually knew us. That what he carried while he was in Egypt, who he was, the very, the very being of, of who he was, was so captivating that they wept for him for 70 days. That is fascinating, and that challenges me so greatly. That we live in a world where we just do our own little thing. We don't follow the call of God. That man was, was an incredible man in that place because he was being who his father told him to be. So the, the whole reason of, of what I've tried to do here today, and I hope that it's, it's challenged in, in, in some regard, is that we have a story that God's written for us. But we also have a choice if we want to walk that story. We have a, a, a call on our lives that God is constantly pulling us into, but it's your decision to make. Your eternity, if, if you're not saved and you don't know who Christ is, then your eternity starts at knowing who Christ is, knowing God the Father. And if you are saved, I want to challenge you. Are you being like Jacob was? Are you such an impact in the world around you that, that 
they know who Christ is. You know, we heard Mike say when he was here the other week that about him and, and his friend where the guy said, I can see Jesus in your eyes. That, that rattles me. That makes me so spurred up that someone could walk in and see the creator in my eyes. And I'm not saying that we have to, to, to beat yourself up and strive, but just to sit and question Jesus, do I love you? And what does it look like for me? Does my my life testify who you are? In everything that I do, do I challenge people to rethink their life? Do I challenge people to, to want what I have? To want to know the Father that I know? Why don't you stand? I'm just going to end on this, this verse. to not to to get weird but just close your eyes for a moment because I want to offer a time for for people to come forward if you don't know who Jesus Christ is if you have no understanding of of who this person is but there's something that's tugging your heart there's a there's a feeling of I don't understand it but I need to know more then won't you just come to the forward Come forward to the front. That walk that you take, that that short aisle that you take, is just that stepping out to say, God, I want to know who you are. And if you feel that you haven't, you you are in a place where you can no longer, you, you are no longer standing in that place, you're beaten, you're down, you're broke. Why don't you come forward and just... Let us pray for you in a, in a, in a way that, that God wants to re-spark that flame. He wants to fan what you have. He wants to, to bring back open the call and the plan of your life. 1 Peter 2, 9 verse 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Father, we just thank you, God. Father, we just thank you that you know our path, Lord. You know our journey. Father, you you wrote the blueprints of our life, Lord. God, I pray right now, Father, that that the call that you have for people, Father, the mission, the mandate that you're calling people on, that you stir that right now, Jesus. That Holy Spirit, you come right now. Come and stir hearts, Father. Come and reignite passions, Lord. Father, come and show visions. Allow people to dream dreams, Father. 
God, that any any mission or plan that someone has had and someone else has said that it can't be done, Father, that you break that right now. That you break that spirit of, of holding people back, Father. That the lies that have been told, that they can't reach their dreams, Father, that you break that right now in Jesus' name. Father, entrepreneurs will have dreams and visions of of ways in which they can walk through this this world. Father, businessmen will be able to to see clearly your plans, your glory, Father. The governors, Lord God, in this place can see your plans and your vision, Father, that your wisdom overcomes in this city, Father. Fan flames, Father. Fan flames in this place, Lord. more simple and make what we've heard and experienced today more pertinent to you is you know as humans we all love things we might love our kids and our lives reflect that we might love sport our lives will reflect that we might love our jobs your lives will reflect that but this word has really challenged me if I say I love Jesus, how is my life reflecting that? And don't just say the normal religious things. I go to church, I read the Bible, like I do this, I do that. That's not really what we're talking about. So I know we're coming to the end of our service and it's easy to, to, to wind out now, but I really do encourage, you know, Ben spoke about coming forward if you don't know Jesus. I think that all of us can be encouraged we want our lives to reflect him we had an apostolic leader come and talk about being an image bearer and I can say wholeheartedly that challenges me to the core every day when I get up am I bearing the image of Christ are my choices reflecting that core relationship with Jesus so only you know your heart I'm not God (laughs) But I know that he is moving in this place today and he is touching you. You know, we don't need a singer. We just need the Holy Spirit here. And and if that's you right now, I pray that you would come, respond. Like me, come forward so that the ministry team can pray for you. You don't leave this way, uh, this service today, without being changed. And if you don't have the answers, you don't know, oh, what does that look like? Come up anyway so that God can tell you how to live his way. Come forward, church. That's you. Come receive.